Analytics 1.10. Zichen as Zigong. When the master arrives in a particular state, he invariably finds out about how well it's being governed. Does he actively seek out this information? Or is it simply offered to him? Zigong replied, The master gets all he needs by being cordial, proper, deferential, frugal, and unassuming. Perhaps this way of seeking information is somewhat different from how other people go about it. So in the last analect, I left off with a question. Um, I left off with a point that, you know, if, if you're not happy with how people are these days, you should look towards the leadership. And you should also look at why these sorts of people are also in positions of power. And this is a good lead in into 1.10 because this is essentially um, what we have going on here. This is essentially the, um, the kind of point being made in 1.10. So what we have are um, um, a certain Zichin uh, asking Zigong. Now Zigong is probably Confucius's most famous student, um, other than perhaps Yan Wei, but uh, Yan Wei uh, dies um, as a young man. So he, Confucius's legacy is not transmitted through Yan Wei, um, but rather through Zigong and some other of uh, some other disciples. Zichin, um, he is not one of the most prominent students. Uh, presumably he is one, uh, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about these uh, two uh, disciples perhaps later. Uh, their identities are not really that important for this, for understanding this analect. Um, sometimes it is because the advice is given by the master Confucius directly to um, directly to one of the students and is addressing some of the weaknesses that they have. So the point of this is is that uh, the common people are a reflection of the leadership. The common people are a reflection of the leadership. So this is why we have Confucius simply just behaving like a good person to put, uh, you know, to put simply, I suppose. Um, he is courteous, refined, respectful, restrained, deferential, um, or you could say cordial, proper, deferential, frugal, unassuming. Um, but overall, we get this uh, kind of a meeker personality. So he interacts with people around him. And based on how they, the, the inhabitants, the residents of the area act and behave towards uh, in return, you can tell whether or not the culture is good. 
You can tell whether or not people are anxious about things. You can tell whether or not people generally uh, assume that strangers are people to be feared or they, they can be friendly towards them. You can tell whether people are rude or not, etc. And all of this has to do generally with the culture. Now you could sparse this out and talk about, well, this relates to economics. People are like this because of economics. People are like this because of certain laws. People are like this because the culture is this way. But overall, um, what we have is an ability by Confucius to be able to read what our people are like and extrapolate from that um, what the society is in general and therefore infer from that what the governing is like. Um, I know we're talking about the analytics, but I can't help but make this connection. If you look at Plato's Republic, Socrates will talk about um, something perhaps a little bit similar. Now it's not put in, put in such a way where um, it's clear that as an ordinary person, simply even traveling through, you can pick up on some of these subtle clues uh, as how the government is working. But uh, Socrates takes a more conceptual approach and he will make a connection between the constitution of the government, um, whether it's a aristocracy, democracy, oligarchy, uh, a democracy or a tyranny, and the kind of culture that arises from it. If you read uh, Plato's Republic, um, usually what the translation uh, will translate, uh, it won't say culture necessarily, um, but it'll, the translation will probably say something like uh, the democratical man or the oligarchical man. Uh, they have a certain kind of personality and that personality is an allegory for the kind of culture that we find under these governments. So in oligarchy, people are just, you know, uh, obsessed with um, uh, piling up money. Uh, if you're talking about a de uh, democracy, um, well, Socrates being Socrates doesn't have very nice things to say here. He actually says things like people, uh, you know, teachers fear their students and, you know, flatter them, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, you know, at some other point, I'll discourse on the Republic itself. It itself is very interesting. And of course, it has certain parallels with Confucian thought, um, but they're both worth studying independently. Don't think that if you just study one, it means you've already covered all the ideas in the other. It doesn't work that way. Um, even though there's some overlap, um, there are some things that are really pointed out, sometimes poignantly. Um, and you will get a lot of insight from the way they pointed out and also the, the differences in ideas, as well as the, um, some of the uh, nuances, the subtle differences between them. Remember, Confucius does encourage uh, people to study broadly. So even if you're dedicated already to the Confucian way, the Confucian Tao, uh, it doesn't mean you can't learn from some of the other people out there. They do have significant and substantial things to say. Um, if you know, if if you go, if you want to uh, go into political leadership, you should probably have a good understanding of economics. For example, 
um, not just in the financial realm, but in terms of, you know, what kind of laws give what kind of incentives. Um, economics and law, I think was a very important uh, field of study for anybody who wants to lead effectively. So we have this idea that you can go to a, uh, a state, a country, and just be there for a while and talk to people and observe, and you can understand how it's being governed. And um, if you go to certain places and people are rude, uh, things are dirty, people generally um, keep to themselves, this is not going to be a well-governed area, a well-governed state compared to other places where people are nicer, they say hello, even though they don't know you while they pass. Um, and just look at their facial expressions. Do they look worried? Do they look burdened? Uh, do, do they look anxious? Or do they look free of worry? Do they look um, that they're uh, content? So those things are important. Some people, what they do is they look at statistics. And the problem with statistics is that um, very often they can be um, very unclear. And uh, Mark Twain has this quote, there's lies, damned lies, and then statistics. And uh, um, statistics gives us, can give this appearance of total truth when in fact there's a lot of uh, ifs and buts about the numbers that you compile. And sometimes statistics are almost seemingly designed to be misleading. For example, unemployment. People, especially presidents, like to boast about unemployment going down. Well, did you know that if you haven't had a job in many years, you don't get considered as unemployed? You're just uh, not part of the numbers anymore. They don't collect you. Um, if you're just simply talking about maybe let's say you have a bunch like two or three part-time jobs and you can't make you can't make uh, life work because they don't pay enough. Technically you're not gonna end up being on the unemployed. So the economy could get really bad and yet the unemployment rate looks really good. Um, inflation these days is pretty high. If the, the houses cost twice as much as they used to 10 years ago and the gas prices are almost twice as much as they used to, um, last since like last year or something, that's not less than 10% inflation. So the way that they figure out inflation is they don't actually include gas, housing, or food or at least the same foods year after year. So they play a lot of games. You know, sometimes if, if they do include food, then, you know, uh, if they keep track of steak prices, then they mess with that by, you know, if, if uh, filet mignon goes up, then they start to look at uh, chuck steak. Or if beef as a whole goes up, then they start to look at chicken. So they play a lot of games just to manipulate uh, some of these statistics. But ultimately, the problem with statistics is still that you're, you're, you're using a quantifying way of measuring. And so when you're quantifying, generally what you do is you look at tangible things, like the number of people who 
make a certain income or the number of people who own homes. You don't look at things like quality, things that are more subjective, harder to define, harder to assess. So happiness is very hard to uh, assess. A lot of people tell themselves they're happy, but that's just because they don't want to admit they're actually really miserable. It, it makes you feel bad to say, I'm a really unhappy person or my life has been unhappy for the last year. It's, it feels really awful to say that. And so people don't want to say that. If you ask them, are you happy? They'll say yes, but they're not actually happy. It's just a lie they're telling themselves. Um, how do you measure, how do you quantify facial expression? I don't think you can. Maybe one day with some sort of um, algorithm somebody invents, you can go ahead and uh, stick a camera in front of everybody's faces and just kind of measure the amount of certain muscle activity on the face or something. I don't want to give, you know, uh, I don't, I don't give too many ideas because um, I don't believe that ultimately um, machines, AIs can uh, really make good subjective assessments. I don't believe that this is actually possible. Ultimately, you still are in the world of binaries um, and you might be able to kind of somewhat simulate a human being and a human being's subjective judgments. But ultimately, you're not going to be able to ever get to the level of a Confucius. You're not going to be able to assimilate Confucius's ability to read the people around him. And that is perhaps its own discussion why, why AI cannot uh, truly reach this level. This has to do with a lot of subjects that I, can, uh, I need to bring in, a lot of insights that I get from evolutionary biology, from Buddhism, and the practice of meditation uh, and uh, the theories of the soul and the, uh, or if you want to just simply call it the mind, um, philosophy of mind. Uh, I've studied much of this and at the uh, postgraduate level. And uh, there's a lot that I could say, but um, that's really its own topic. Um, my conclusion is uh, pretty firmly very firmly is that um, an AI cannot actually simulate a um, subjective judgment and surely cannot come to understand things like moral principle and when and where to apply it appropriately. Uh, you, you cannot use an AI to become somebody like Confucius. All right, so let's wrap this up. Overall, this analect draws a very clear connection between government and leadership, government leadership with the culture and the culture and the way that people behave, especially to somebody who is just simply out there not offending anybody, being respectful, friendly, cordial.